And you have the Bible app. You can open that as well and have all of the notes there today. Psalm 23. Now, this morning we are reading out of the, out of the uh, New Living Translation. Psalm 23. Say amen when you're there. Amen. And the word of the Lord reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I what? All that I need. It's interesting. He doesn't say I have all that I want. How many parents don't hear our kids need things and they want things? Amen. Oh, I'm sorry. Your house isn't like that. You guys must have perfect homes. All right. Well, well, in my house... We have needs and wants. Can I get a big fat amen? We don't do skinny amens here. We do fat amens here. Can I get a big fat amen? All right. There's needs and there's wants. I have needs and wants as well. My wants typically outweigh my needs. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything I need. And he lets me rest in green meadows. Last week we talked about how he makes us lie down. Did anybody get a good nap last Sunday? If you were here last week, amen. It was the word of God that came forth prophetic word as we talked about napping. And he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to my name. No, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Even when you walk through the darkest valley, look at your neighbor and say, I won't be afraid. That was weak. That's Chamber of Commerce weak. Say, I won't be afraid. Let the devil know. Hey, devil, I won't be afraid. Amen. He says, when I walk through the darkest of the valleys, I will not be afraid for my shepherd is close beside me. He says, your rod and your staff, they protect me and they comfort me. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. How cool is that? God's going to put you at a table and make all the haters watch you eat a feast. That's going to be pretty awesome. Amen. And he says, right in front of my enemies, I sit down and I enjoy this amazing meal, this feast. And he says, you honor me. By anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessings and surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord. What does it say, church? Forever. Psalm 23, verse 3 of the New King James Version reads, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Has anybody been restored in here today? Amen. Amen. He restores your soul. Look at the person next to you and say, get ready. Get ready to be restored. Amen. He restores my soul. Now, my wife was talking about earlier about restarting electronic devices. And, and uh, I was thinking about this as well. Those that have iPhones in here, chances are at some point uh, you've had to restore your iPhone. Has anyone had to restore their iPhone before? You know what, you know what happens when you do that? Uh, you, you, you basically take the phone back to the way it came out of the box. So hopefully you've backed up everything on there. All your contacts, all your games, your apps, you know, the most important things like Angry Birds, 
Clash of Clans. Uh, what else? Uh, our kids, some of our kids' favorites. Cut the rope. Is that the right? I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. Um, in our house, it's Clash of Clans, and so Harrison loves that game. So hopefully, you've backed all that up because you know, 99 cents and 99 cents and 99 cents, and before you know it, you you look and you spend a hundred dollars. Come on, parents, are you with me? Or when your kids get old enough to learn the password to iTunes, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. So I get these emails right from iTunes saying, thank you for your most recent purchase. I was like, what did I just buy? I'm like, all these games, like, what in the world? Like, what is this, you know? And, and so, but there's been times where I've had to restore my phone. And for whatever reason, I've had to plug it in and I've had to click restore. And this thing pops up on the screen and it says, basically, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, no, I'm, this is like a life and death question. You know, what kind of question is this? Am I sure I'm doing what the guy on the phone is telling me to do? So he's saying restore. So I restore my phone and, and, and lo and behold, it's just like it, ah, uh, and when it came out of the box. And, and then I have to go back and put everything on. But, but you can restore your phone. You can, you can take it when it's messed up. And you can plug it in to the source. And you can restore it. And it clears out everything. All the bugs. All the junk. All the stuff on there that's cluttered up your phone. That's, that's kept it from operating the way it should be. That's kept it from being all the iPhone that iPhone can be. And for all the iPhone haters in here, I know you're having a great laugh right now. But, but you can restore your phone. Now, Steve Jobs and Apple thought they had this figured out. But can I tell you, God was in the restoration business a long time ago. A long time ago, God was restoring people before restoring things was cool. My dad is here today. They weren't, they weren't able to be with us last week. They were helping my grandparents. And, and, uh, but my dad has is, is restored cars as long as I can remember. And uh, my brother and I, we drove a 71 uh, Chevrolet uh, stepside pickup through high school. My brother drove it, and then I drove it. Actually, a guy in our church gave it to my dad. It's a cowboy guy. He said, Pastor, you need a truck. And he gave him this truck. And so we painted it. And, and uh, at the time, uh, it had what was called a three on the tree. If you know what that means, can I get an amen? All right. We got some car buffs in here. They don't make these anymore. They don't make these anymore, but it was a manual shift and it was on the column. It wasn't on the floor. It was on the column. So down for one, push the clutch in. It was like a workout alone just to get this clutch in, you know, like two feet on it. Shift into second and down into third and reverse was somewhere in the middle over to you and up. I couldn't always find it. So sometimes I had to park where I could just swing forward, you know. Because it was just hard to catch sometimes. It's called, it was a three on the tree. I'm not making this up. And so it had a shifter on the column. And so we restored that. And like I said, my brother drove it in high school. And then and when I started driving, I drove it in high school and, and uh, drove the wheels literally right off of it. And amen, that's right. He, bought, he was bought the wheels in Jesus' name. And so, and then he had a 57 Chevy two-door hardtop. 
And uh, he had this 57 Chevy for years, and I can remember working, him working on it in the garage. I don't know if he remembers this one time, but the hood fell on your head, and it busted your head open. And, and I think he was by himself, and he had to drive himself to the hospital. And, but he had this car, and I can always remember him and other men from the church coming over, and they would, Sunday afternoons, they'd work on this car. And, and uh, when we moved to Belton, he had that car. He drove it here. And then he and I found a a 67 GTO here in Belton. I was driving by one day, and I saw this car kind of peeking out from the bushes, and it called to me. Just like Moses had the burning bush, I was driving by, and out of the bushes, this car called to me. Matt, Matt, pull over. God, is that you? And like Eli and Samuel, go back. If you hear it again, it's God. And so I went back, and I found this car, and I pushed the bushes back, and this GTO was hiding back behind these bushes. So I knocked on the door, and I was like, hey, God told me that you're supposed to sell me this car. Better you're supposed to give it to me in Jesus. No, but by Jesus' name. But, but, but in all seriousness, we bought this car, and we fixed it up through a lot of headache, <laughs> a lot of heartache. We restored that 67 GTO. Restoring things is fun takes a lot of work. You got to really want to do it. I brought something with me today. I'm a Craigslist junkie. If you didn't know that about your pastor, you need to know that I'm on Craigslist all the time. It drives my wife crazy because my phone's always going off with texts or calls like, hey, do you have this for sale? You know, I got a golf cart for sale right now. I'm buying something. I'm always looking to trade and swap titles on something on cars and trucks and stuff. So I found, found this dining room set, and, and uh, we have a table uh, at, at our house, a dining room table. We don't eat at it. I don't know if you eat at your dining room table. Ours is for storage. But, but <laughs> anybody else like that? Come on, let's just be real. Let's be real. Don't act like you sit down like uh, from the 50s, you know, and you all just have this beautiful dad's in a suit and tie and mom's in heels and a dress and her hair up and all that, and the kids are smiling. No. In our house, it's like, you eat, it's like a drive-thru. You eat as you're going through. And and one door and out the other. And I didn't want the whole dining room set. All I wanted was this bench. And I couldn't get them to sell me just this bench. And so I haggled with him. I talked with him. I said, you don't understand. I don't want anything else. All I want is this bench. I've got a table, man. I've already got a storage rack. I don't need another one. I just need something to sit on if we ever decide to sit on it. Because we have Connect Group once a month at our house. Connect Group's coming up next week, by the way. And... My people are going to a place to sit. They don't like to stand. And so, so I had to buy the whole thing. But all I wanted was this bench. And so I've been, I've been in the restoration process. And, and right now it's got stripper on it. I've been, I've been stripping all of, the, all of the old stain, all of the old wood. I've been uh, cautiously, meticulously, as you can tell, sanding it down. Pastor Cameron helped me bring it in. It's like, be careful, man. This stuff, it's, it's toxic. It'll get, it, get you. And so I wanted you to see it in, the, in this process because, because here's the thing, church. It's, it's easy on a Sunday morning in church when we're amongst brothers and sisters when we say, he restores my soul. Amen, pastor. Oh, that's great stuff. He restores my soul. But let's be honest. When you're going through the restoration process, it doesn't feel good, does it? 
When God takes some sandpaper to your life and all your rough edges and all the places that, that, that make you you, uniquely you, and God says, all right, you want some of my grace? You want some of my love? You want some of my mercy? You want me to pick up all of your broken pieces and put you back together again? It's called a process. Look at your neighbors say, don't hate the process. Don't hate the process. I'm telling you what, church, find joy in the process. Because it's in the process that I see God's hand at truly at work in my life. Now, you won't ever appreciate this bench like I will someday. Because it's been my hands and it's been my blood. And, and yeah, there's been blood. <laughs> and and uh, I've wanted to toss it over the yard a couple of times. When, when I put it on, it wouldn't, with the, the original stain wouldn't come off. And, and, and it was when I was trying to do all of that, and as I'm, and as I'm working down, as I'm trying to get it to the place that I want it to be, and, and this restoration process is hard and it's ugly. And it's when you look at it in the middle, have you ever known someone, you, you, you met them in the middle of the process? You, you caught them, you caught them in, a, in a, a weird place in life? Or if, has someone ever met you when you were in the middle of a place and you wanted to say, hey, hey, I'm not always this crazy? Like you just caught me, as Christians like to say, you just caught me in a weird season of my life. We like to use that term as Christians, as Christianese, you know, because God's got me in a unique season of my life. Thus saith the Lord. And God's just got me in this weird season where he, you know, you just caught me at a bad place. This is not normally me. I'm not normally this weird. I'm not normally this odd. I'm not normally this, this, this brash. I, you know, I, I'm not normally like this. You caught me in an off time. You caught me right in the middle of the process. You caught me when God is stripping the world from my life. You caught me right in the moment where my sin and his grace clash head on. And I was confronted that I'm an unholy person. And I was confronted with the anybody hearing me today. When your sin and his grace meet head to head, someone's going to lose and it won't be God. You know, two of you walk in, only one of you walking out. And that's, that's what the process looks like. It's... No one would want to buy it like this. No one would pull up that Craigslist ad and say, oh, that's what I want right there. Oh, man, it's perfect. I can take it home and we can get all dirty and chemically uh, chemically from this. Uh, that's a word, by the way, from from this. But But once it's done, once it's done, I could likely fetch more for just this bench than the entire table. That's the beauty of restoration. Amen. The beauty of restoration is that an old car, once it's been restored, is worth more today than it was when it came off the showroom floor. It's it's worth more today than it was brand new. It's worth more today and all the stuff that it went through, sitting in a yard, all the oxidization that came over it, you know, and, and the previous owners, if you know what Bondo is, it's like a Band-Aid for cars. And you slap Bondo on the car and try to just cover up the rust, and you put a little spray paint on it here and a little paint there. And But it's worth more today. It's worth more. T- Church, do you understand what the Word of God is saying to you today? You are worth more today. You are worth more today. 
because of the restoration process. Give God a praise today in this place. His blood restores us. We're worth more now than we were before. And his blood covers us and it restores us and it renews us and it refreshes us. We read in the New Living Translation, Psalm 23, verse 3, he renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. He guides me in right paths, bringing honor to his name. He doesn't do this for his glory. Excuse me, he doesn't do this for your glory. He doesn't do this so that you can stand on the stage in the spotlights and say, look what I've done. Truth be told, we're helpless. We're helpless. As if we're going to go to God and say, hey, I got this all figured out. As if you could approach God's throne and say, hey, God, did you know? FYI, God, LOL, OMG, whatever. God, did you know that this was going on? Did you know that if you did this and this and this, God, it would all work out? And God is saying, oh, really? Haven't you been trying that? And look where it's gotten you. He says he restores my soul. And then he says he leads me on the right path for his name's sake. He says, I'm doing this not so that you can stand in the spotlight and everyone can look at you and say, man, look at your hard work. You are a great person. Wow. You are, you are, I'm going to high five myself. I'm so good. Man, you are a great person. You, you've done so well with your life. Look how well you've done with your life. You are just so witty and so smart and everyone loves you and you're so charming. Look how great you are. God says, no, no, no. David was writing, he says, he leads me on these paths for his namesake. He says he's guiding me so that when the world that knew me before and they see me through the process and they see how he got me to the end, they say, wow, there is no way that you could have ever done that. Someone else must have had a hand in your life. Come on, somebody. And then it's your chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your chance to say, you're right. It wasn't me. It wasn't my wit. It wasn't my smarts. It wasn't my intelligence. It was God that got me through the process. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, love the process. Love the process. It was God that got, it was God that got me through. It was him that guided me. It was him that lead, he, he led me on the right path for his name's sake. He did it for his glory. It's always been about him, church. It will always be about him, church. We are not the subject of the story. He is. He includes us in the story, but the story is about him. And then he says, you know what? Through the process, you begin to reflect a little bit of me through it. As you let me work in your life, as we let God begin to restore us, as we come to the Lord and we say, you know what, God, right now, I don't feel like I'm worth a whole lot. Can I tell you, believe it, or, believe it or not, chances are, a great chance, that the person sitting next to you, whether you know them or not, probably feels the same way. Maybe today, if not earlier this week, or will next week. But sometimes in life, we just don't feel like we're, we're valued, we're worth much, right? Like, 
if God was picking teams, we feel like we would be the last person picked. Amen? God doesn't do that, but if that's the way we were to figure it out that way. And so he says, I'm doing this for my namesake, for my glory. And he says, if, if we will let him church, if we will let him take our lives and just say, God, here it is. You're the skill worker. You're the master worker. You're the one that's perfect in all your ways. I'm just going to give you what I have. Isn't that amazing, church? When, when we come to the Lord, he doesn't say, hey, go get restored first. Go get all beautified first. Go, go get perfect first. And then when you come, I can use you. But the, the church would be empty, wouldn't it? The pulpit would be empty. This pulpit would be empty. But what does he say, church? He says, come to me. Just come to me. In fact, I would rather you come to me all jacked up and messed up and flawed. Because then I can do what I need to do. When somebody else has tampered with it, it's just extra work for God. Not as if God gets tired, but, but it's just extra work for him. But he says, come to me just like this. Come to me submitted. Come to me wholehearted. Come to me and just give me just like you are. Give me yourself just as you are. And, and I'll take it and I'll beautify it. I, I'll, I'll make it what I need to be. Look at your neighbor and say, God is making you what you need to be. Let me bring this home to you. Let me connect all these dots. We just, we just read. Let me read it to you again. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need, not all that I want. If we just said, God, make me into all that you need me to be, not that all I want to be. I think enough of us have tried life on our own to make it what we want it to be, and we found out that we're not very good at that. But when we come to the Lord, say, God, make me what you need me to be for your glory, whatever that is. Listen, if you're a single mom in the house, be the best single mom that you can be. I mean, knock the socks off of it. I mean, if there was a war for single moms, man, make it so that you would be, you would get first place. Amen? For all the parents in here, you, you've got, you know, you've got a husband and wife and you're raising kids, be the best, best parents you can be. If there was an award, Academy Award for best parents, man, make sure that you'd win first place. If you're a grandparent in here, be the best grandparent that you can be. You know what I'm saying? Just, if you're a teenager in here, be the best teen. Hey, I'm a parent, said amen. Amen. I've got one in here so I can say that. Man, whatever it is that God has put you in to make you feel better, whatever season you're in right now, whatever season you are in, man, live it to the fullest. Let God work on you. Amen? Let him craft you. Let him hone you. Let him put you and mold you and make you into the thing that he needs you to be for his kingdom and for his glory. When we do that, church, beautiful things happen. I want to close with this. David is believed wrote this towards the end of his life, possibly. We know the story of David. For those that, for those that may be new to church, maybe it's your first time ever in a church, I'm going to give you just the Cliff Notes version of the story of the life of David. Is that okay? Say amen. I'm going to do it anyways if you didn't. So, Here's David. David was a shepherd boy. And, and uh, he, had, he had some big brothers that were, that were men's men. You can read about it. 
they were men's men. They were they were a head taller than 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 David. They were they were strong men. They were warriors. They were bred to be fighters and warriors. David was the youngest brother. He was a shepherd. They sent him out into the field. We're kind of familiar with some of his 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 works, right? David killed a bear. He killed a lion. Then David became really famous when he killed Goliath. Who did he kill? Goliath. You guys are on it. All right. So he killed Goliath, and then. When they came back, the Bible says King Saul came back with them, and they began to chant and sing that Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands, and this made the king very angry. And so David, who used to be, would play instruments for the king, would play his harp and play his instruments for the king. Man, the king chased him out of town, and David went into hiding, and he hid in rocks and hid in caves, and he became a man, and and all, during this time, he was anointed to be king over Israel, and he yet was not king. And so, finally, one day, one day, David assumes the throne of God, throne of Israel, and he becomes the the king that that was prophesied that they would have. And so, David becomes a king, and one day, David is on the top of his roof, like a king would do, looking over his kingdom. There's a woman taking a bath on the roof, which is weird, but she was taking a bath on the roof. I'm just saying, let's call it what it is. Let's not say that it's a normal thing. I'm, I'm just saying, even in Bible times, like, hey, you know, find, find another place. But she was on the roof. David looks out, and he sees her. And then he begins to connect dots that shouldn't have never been connected. The Bible says that David sent for her. She came to his house. They had dinner and some other things. And, and they had a baby together. And David murdered Uriah, her husband. Had he murdered so he was an adulterer. He was a king. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. I mean, let's just, let's lay it all out there, church. <laughs> Maybe you're not there, right? <laughs> Maybe you're like, okay, wow, I can uh, take a breathe. I haven't killed anyone, so I'm not as bad as David. But in all seriousness, if we want to talk about that, in First John, the Word of God says, if you hate your brother, it's as if you're a murderer. So, just throwing that out there, food for thought. But through this process, through all of this, what I just told you so quick, think about this. This guy that wrote Psalm 23 is looking back at his life, thinking about when he was a shepherd, when he killed the bear, when he killed the lion, when he killed Goliath, when his best friend's dad was hunting him to kill him, literally wanted to take his head off of him. And how God provided for him, provided for him. He became a king, a king over the best nation ever in the world. He became a king over Israel, the king that God prophesied and judges who he wanted to be on the throne. And, and yet after all of that stuff became an adulterer and a murderer. And he's looking back and he's writing Psalms 23. And I'm just wondering when he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, we're, we're going to talk about that next week, but... But just some insight. I wonder if he's not talking about so much as when Saul was chasing him, as if it is as much when he was in the shadow of his sin. Looking back at his life and say, man, I was in a dark place. No one could help me. But yet in the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't fear it. Even as great as my sin was, as great as the accusations were against me and the terrible things that I did, God's grace found me. Come on, somebody. That is powerful. 
as bad as I was, as dirty as I was, as messed up and as jacked up as I was, God's grace still found me. Church, I'm telling you all of that just to say, I don't care who you are or where you came from or what you did. I don't need you to air your laundry today. Please keep it packed away, neat and tight. No, but listen, God is telling us today, if we will let him, he will restore you. He will restore you. And so David, wow. So God still used David after all of that. After all of that, God still used David. Did you know that Jesus Christ, our Messiah and our Savior, had lineage that connects back to David. So talk about a story of restoration. God could have cut off his bloodline instantly and immediately, but he didn't. He began to restore David. And I'm telling you what, God wants to restore you, your home, your marriage, your finances, your career, whatever it is, God can, God can, God can, God can. Let's stand our feet today. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, you know, nothing magical happens when you do that. It's just a way for us to come together in this common moment. Maybe you're here today and there's something that that God has used me to say to you, to speak into your life, something about restoration. Maybe you're here today and through God's word today, you've become acutely aware of your sin and your need for a savior. And you say, you know what, Pastor Matt, that... I need God to restore me from my sin, from my life that I have lived. I, I've, maybe it's you've made a mess of it, and you want God to restore you spiritually. You, you want to be whole again, emotionally and spiritually, and you want him to make you whole again, restore you, and bring you back to that place of fellowship and communion with him, the, the place that God intended from the very beginning for us to have, this amazing, beautiful relationship with God the Father. You say, Pastor Matt, that's me. If, if that's you, I want to pray for you right where you are. If you would just raise your hand. You keep it up. Yes, thank you. Many hands, sure. Wow, thank you. Put your hands up. I just want to pray this prayer. Lord, I thank you for today. You see these hands. You know these people. You see the fingerprints. You created us. You know who we are. You know what we need today. You know exactly, not what we want, but you know exactly what we need. There's our design for life, and then there's your design for our life. So I pray that we would abandon the ship that we've been on that's caused us to keep us away from you. We abandon it all, God, for you today. Creating us a new heart, a pure heart, oh God. Lord, renew a right spirit within us as David wrote in Psalm 51, God. Restore that right spirit. Renew a right spirit within us. Touch us and heal us by the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.